Podcast. Back to Ings. So the 27-year-old only scored four goals for Liverpool in his spell there. However, a lot of Red supporters now I've seen on Twitter, Insta and Facey saying that they would love him back instead of Wobi. Really? Yeah. That he would be able to do a better job as a Liverpool backup than what's currently yeah, there. He's a Liverpool legend now. I don't know if many are going to be happy with you saying that, Woody. I don't know, but I, I'm just I'm, I'm just regurgitating what I'm hearing on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My <laughs> name is Damon, and with me, I have the absolute nuffy of the week. <laughs> Woody, mate, please explain to the people what was going through your mind last week. Before we even start, <laughs> what were you thinking? To be fair, Origi, Awobi... <laughs> Mate, you can you can understand. Like I said, we had linguistic difficulties, and I was having some difficulties in my own. To be fair, I did sort of go with. I pretty much I called him. A, I think it was Liverpool cult here. You didn't even pick it up. Yeah, I know. No, I, <laughs> it's because I knew what you were about to say, and I didn't. Even, it didn't even register that you said the the wrong O, if we want to call it that. And, and then the the man himself during the week, you know, just made sure that he knew. That you knew who his name was, didn't he? Divock Origi bagged two for Liverpool. He did, mate. And he played a blinder. And it was pretty funny because what I was supposed to say is that Ings was playing better than Origi. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what I was supposed to say. But turn, even though Danny Ings scored, Origi <laughs> clearly heard the podcast, <laughs> came back, put on a show in the Merseyside derby, <laughs> single-handedly sacks. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Mark, Marco Mark Silva. Gee whiz. <laughs> But uh, you know, other than that, I thought last week. Uh, how many? It was seems like not that long ago we did an episode. Was it two or three days ago? No, those mid- midweek games now. Three day turnaround. It was, three yeah, day turnaround. It's been a busy week for us, and it's also been a very busy week for those Premier League teams. So, Woody, would you care to hit us with those quick fire results? So to kick off the round, City schwacked Burnley four one. Palace beat Bournemouth 1-0. Merseyside derby, absolute grim affair. Liverpool beat Everton 5-2. Wolves beat West Ham 2-0. Southampton beat Norwich 2-1. United downed a feisty Spurs 2-1. Leicester down a Watford 2-0. Chelsea beat Aston Villa 2-1. Then Brighton. Jeez. Made a mockery of Arsenal 2-1. And to finish it off, the mighty Blades got down by a surging Newcastle 2-0. Now, Woody. Obviously, we've had about 20 Premier League games in the space of maybe five, six days. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we've got some more tonight. And when that sort of stuff happens, that means the Premier League nightclub doesn't sleep. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. It just It just does not stop. <laughs> I'm on the red eye at the moment, okay? So, basically, <laughs> when that sort of stuff happens as well, it means the Instagram feed just flows, doesn't it? It does. And it's been a very blue week. And by blue, I mean Manchester City know how to put one in the back of the net. They've shown us with Kevin De Bruyne on the weekend and Rodrigo during the week. Which one was which one was better? Week? Which one was better? Personally, I'd say Rodrigo. A lot, really? it, was actually, it was actually more powerful, in my opinion, than KDB's. Really? KDB's was a hit and a half, let's be real. But Rodrigo's was sort of through a lot more defenders. Okay, okay. I can, yeah. I can see where you're coming from. But f- yeah, no, I think... Once De Bruyne has hit the crossbar, it's very, very difficult to beat for mine for goal. You know, it's yeah. a contender for goal of the season, yeah. let's be real. Yeah, both enough. are, both fair are, enough. to be fair. 
But there wasn't one man who thought it was goal of the season. Oh, thought Rodri's was goal of the season. It was. Uh, and shout out to our boy, um, Instagram handle at Keeney2045. He's actually a Liverpool supporter and he commented on the Rodrigo, our Rodrigo posts on the gram and he said, goal of the season contender for sure. And he now, thought it was better. And he thought it was better. And, and, and coming from a Liverpool supporter, I'm actually really surprised he's taken that over. Fabinho's goal a few weeks ago. Yes, that's very true. I'm very, I'm very surprised. I'm very surprised. Mate, that's, maybe that's a, uh, a team neutral sort of perspective like we like to deliver here on the nightclub. Yep, bit of gender neutral sort of... Uh, yeah, <laughs> gender neutral goal, sort of areas. Goal neutral sort of areas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I, steering away from the Instagram, although we could talk about the Instagram, oh, the whole podcast. We could, we could, we could. It does... I mean, we have to get into our first game that we want to analyse for this this episode, and that is the big Merseyside derby between Liverpool and Everton. He's given Holgate the run around. Ginny Vijnaldum! Wraps it up for Liverpool! Number five with number five! And it is all smiles on derby day now! Yeah, that is absolutely right. Liverpool destroyed Everton 5-2. And to be honest with you, it was probably a expected result and an expected margin between the two teams. But once that lineup came out from Liverpool's end, a lot of people thought Ooh, Everton might have a chance here, but it wasn't to be. Well, with a midfield of Milner and Wijnaldum and Lallana, okay, it it's a, probably paints a little bit of a different story than, I guess, what a Hendo, Wijnaldum, and say, I, I, I'm not sure who, who else would play that Maybe role. Fabinho. Fabinho, right? So... I, I, like looking at the lineup alone, by no means were Liverpool ever going to play a bad game. One Adam always does his job. Milner has does his, done his job for the last twelve years at City and at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you look at the attack: Mane, Shakiri, both featured Champions League win. Origi, like he, he must have listened to the podcast and <laughs> he knew he was going to spur him on. Did you say Origi this time? Yeah, Origi, not a Wobi, not a Wobi. <laughs> and then basically an untouched back four. So. At the end of the day, like this Liverpool team is not even, it's not weak. I and Damo, I've actually got a question for you before we get into the game. Mm-hmm. If one hadn't scored that last fifth goal, would Silver still be Everton manager? Uh, no. No, because... Five looks a lot worse than four. It does, but it was the, only the second time ever in a Premier League era that Everton had conceded four goals in a half. And it has, it, the only other time it happened was about, I think, 2015. But they did score two. They did score two. But the reason I think that, for, for one, I'd quickly touch on Liverpool. Yeah. They pretty much set up a little bit more like a 4-2-3-1, not the traditional 4-3-3 that they usually go with because Lallana's not a genuine, genuine central midfield player. Yeah. Probably as much as... Bit, uh, more, bit more attacking. Bit more attacking, yeah. yeah. So he was always going to be pushing up more than you know perhaps a Henderson might. And that's funny because it wasn't actually until they, Hendo came on that they switched back to their 4-3-3 signature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, just quickly to answer your question on Marco Silva, the reason why he got he went was, one, Everton were all over the place in a system that they played against Leicester and did actually quite well in the 5-4-1. But Liverpool played and figured it out within 45 minutes how to destroy it. We've, we saw Emery change tactics about 15 times in his last 15 games. Yep. When that starts happening to a manager, you know their their time's running out. They're trying every little thing to get a result, and that's why I think Silva was gone. The only thing that I come back with you and say was that Everton actually had more shots than Liverpool for the game. 
12 to 11. Come on, come on, Woody. You watched the game. You can't seriously be sitting here and saying that Marco Silva did a good job. He looked lost yeah, as he, a manager. He did look lost. And I think when you, look at, when you look at managers that go, and it's something that we talked about, especially during the week, during the round as well. If you look at the subs, substitutes that managers make in their last games, even the last three games they play, everyone questions them. Because they, it seems like they're grasping on grasping on straws. Really, they yeah. have they have nothing to hold, so they, they they lose all rationality, and that's what I thought when he brought Schneiderlin on. Because realistically, Everton were two goals down. What are they What are they going to do by bringing on a holding midfielder? Yeah, you're spot on. When you start making substitutions like that, I think you probably, as a manager, you're trying to save your job more than you're trying to win the game. And when that starts to happen, we saw Emery do that a little bit at Arsenal towards the end of his time there. It pretty much, that's when the alarm bells start to ring and you can make sense why he has been sacked. And it probably looks like David Moyes might actually be the one to take over from there or even Eddie Howe from Bournemouth. But I think David Moyes is the favourite for now. Woody, we've spoken about how you know terrible Everton were, are, and you know we'll see where they go from here. But we should probably talk about Liverpool because we spoke about their lineup and the, their performance didn't suffer. No. It was it was really, really good. And I've got a question for you. Yeah. Obviously, Firmino and Salah didn't play. Or well, Firmino came on, Salah was uh, left on the bench the whole time, wasn't required. Mane played all, the whole game and absolutely murdered Everton, let's yep. be real. But looking at it from a bigger perspective, which one of those Liverpool front three is the most important in your eyes? Well, to, uh, to be honest with you, everyone says it's Firmino. Yeah, that's the common one. But I would actually argue that it's actually Mane. Mm-hmm. I, because evidence on the weekend for sure. Be- oh, sorry, during the week. Yeah, because if you look at Firmino, Firmino tracks back, right? Yeah. Liverpool don't lack quality midfielders. Mm-hmm. Okay, past past Mane, Firmino, and Salah, you've got Origi, Shakiri, and that's it, really. Yeah, that's that it. Who? That's really it, mm-hmm. right? So I would say. Mane, considering how fit he actually is and how the consistency you know, he's only he had has, two weeks break over the off season. Exactly, it's incredible. So the, the consistency at which he plays at right is the reason why he's probably going to win um, African Player of the Year. Just on that, where 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 was Wilfred and Didi in that thing? I, I mean, I know we're talking about Liverpool and Everton here, but and do I, not get I, me started. And about- you and you did say this to me. I'm going to say it to you again. His 2018-19 season. He has seen a huge jump from then to now. You know what? We're gonna huge have this, jump. We could have, we're going to have this argument off, anyway, off air because anyway. it's ridiculous that he's not involved in that. <laughs> Back to Liverpool. So the Origi, Shakir and Lallana all started because as we know, Salah and Firmino were left on the bench. We sort of saw this as a cruising game. All right. And Origi, even though a second-hand striker, right, he has made five derby goals in four games. He That's loves amazing. playing against Everton. He loves playing against Everton, doesn't he? I think, I might be wrong here, but I think that takes him to third on the list for goals against Everton from a Liverpool player. That's incredible. It's amazing. For someone that does is a bit part player in that Liverpool team as well, yeah. doesn't even get the minutes looked at the, that the front three do. He arrives for the big game. He does. He does. And someone who also arrives for the big game is Lovren, right? And he we've seen him improve in every aspect of his game. Yeah. And, Obviously, he was at fault for the Kane goal, but if we, like... I mean, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there and yep. say Liverpool probably should have dealt with that particular cross earlier because I think it came back out and then went back in. But he was outstanding again. And I'm not saying he was better than Van Dyke. I think Van Dyke had his really strong moments as well, especially that tackle or penalty on Calvert-Lewin. But I think Lovren's been a whipping boy for Liverpool so often. But on the weekend, 
I he won eighty eight percent of his of his duels. He was solid as anything. And to be honest with you, we spoke about how good Matipa's been this season. And obviously, Joe Gomez is struggling to get back into that Liverpool team. Suddenly, a, a Liverpool side where we thought previous to this season where they had little depth and if injuries hit, they'd suffer. Look, that game on the weekend just sums Liverpool up at the moment. They're absolutely flying. And these guys like Shakiri, Origi, Lovren, even Lalana, who if, you said, if I said to you, Woody, 12 months ago, they were all in the starting lineup against Everton... I bet you wouldn't assume that Liverpool yeah, you, would bang five goals in. You would have thought you would have thought someone was nuts. Yeah. But then I think the beauty of this is that when these players come in, it still allows the mainstays like Alexander Arnold to to shine in the game. And yet again, it was the same. Like it, same thing. We're, we're broken records here. We say the same thing every episode because realistically, Alexander Arnold and and Andy Robertson, they they are probably the two best fullbacks in the world. It's it's getting ridiculous now that teams haven't figured out how to. Like Liverpool play a system where they protect their fullbacks and let them let them run forward. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. their midfield is not the most attacking midfield. They're very solid, but they're not the most attacking. It's their ability to get forward is incredible. But Alexander Arnold, we've been critical of his defending. This we season. have, we have. But he won seventy percent of his duels on the weekend, and although that might not seem an incredible high percentage. I think it was more his tackling and his ability to put pressure on the ball, which impressed me the most. 80% successful tackles. He, for once, he wasn't getting caught out half, quite often he gets caught out halfway through positions. Whether he's, he's, one minute he looks like a right midfielder and then the next minute he looks like a centre back. He Sometimes he gets a little bit caught out. There was one point, and I'll bring it up now because it spooked me when I saw it. Mm-hmm. He was caught offside. Yeah. The commentators did actually when make a big point. When do you see fullbacks get caught offside the game above has a winger? Changed. The, the game, game has changed. The game has the changed. changed. Do you want to just quickly talk about Everton's actual performance rather than Marco Silva? Yeah. Just quickly touch on why Everton was so poor. We spoke about their change in system and how it worked against Leicester and it really didn't work here at Anfield. One player that I do want to talk about is Sidibe. What a change it's been in a week. We praised him and, and wondered whether he would start again. And he did. But it wasn't a long appearance, was it? He was taken off at half time and before I think it was like five minutes before half time. Yeah, and if you watched him play, like he looked so lost. He had no idea. He no got idea. torn to shreds by Sadio. And I tell you what, it shows because he is athletic, right? Oh, yeah. But he just looked like a bit of a lank on the field and just like wasn't I felt sorry for him. Did not click in the game. He was getting done. Was, Absolutely done. It was Absolutely really, done. Really grim. And also the same with Yerry Mina. Yerry Mina got skinned as well. Yeah. And they both looked like bit part players realistically during the game. It, it was bizarre because for a team that held Leicester out for so long, or I reckon probably other than Holgate, who even even then had his moments of poorness, if that's a word, <laughs> it, all of the defenders didn't know how to play the system. I just couldn't understand no, they it. defended so badly. And like, there's no easy way to put it. There's nothing to sugarcoat. They defended so badly. I think the prime example would be Origi's second goal, where yep. he put that brilliant touch and then hammered it in from a long ball from Lovren. It's all well and good to sit back, which Everton did. And you sort of have to do that in Anfield because now they've gone 32 games unbeaten there, their longest run, Liverpool's longest run in their top flight history. And Klopp's 100th Premier League win, by the way. But I think the problem is it's all well and good to sit back. But when Lovren's got acres of space to just pick out a pass your midfielders need to do a job your attacking players need to put some pressure on the ball otherwise eventually the damn walls are going to burst do you know what i mean like defenders can't sit there tracking runs 
when the ball's coming with no pressure on it. It's, yeah, it's hard. It's basic. And especially it's basic when, fundamentals. Especially when you're not tracking Andy Robertson and Alexander Arnold. Like, yeah. if anyone's going to punish you, it's them. Exactly. Anyone in the world is going to punish you, it's them, to the, to the most extent. And, yeah, look, it's just really hard because Everton going forward, like, they've got a list that has merit in the league. Let's be real. They have merit in the league. They have some quality players. Like, Richarlison shows his bits every now and then. Same with Bernard when he plays well, right? And clearly, Everton are lacking a front man. Guess how much money Marco Silva spent in his time at Everton? I'll say 250 it's actually only 180. Okay. <laughs> Ronald, Ronald Koeman spent over 200. Since David Moyes, they've spent over 500 million. That's ridiculous. Be interesting to see what, if Moyes comes in, what he'll do. Yeah, it, it, it really it will be. I think he'll love Luca Digne. Luca Digne is the one that will thrive under David Moyes. But that's just you know Damon's yeah. random uh, non-expert <laughs> prediction. Okay. Bit of a, a Damon dilemma. Yeah. Like <laughs> Alrighty, Woody. I think we put a bow on... That particular game because yeah, it's, I think it's just going to be more interesting to see how Everson go from now on. Yeah, I think the discussion points are going to be from now on mm-hmm. rather than looking back. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's be real. That game was probably written before it even started. Let's yeah, be real. completely, completely. All right, now let's get stuck into on or off side. Woody. Yo. I'm going to start with you. Hit me. Watford are a hundred percent going to be relegated. Uh, look, no question there, hundred percent onside. And if we look at Watford in the context of their season, and you look at the context, I guess, in what smaller clubs have to make themselves in the Premier League and what they have to do to, to to show their merit and show their class. When they make mistakes, smaller clubs of any ilk, right? If you look at the Watfords, you look at the um, even Southamptons. Mm-hmm. Right, you look at the Sheffields. All right, if they come into the league and they make mistakes, the punishment is relegation. Similar, if you look at United, they're having one of their worst seasons of all time, and yet they're not even near relegation. So this, if you have a ceiling, you have no floor. Yeah, I get you. I know what you mean. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But if you have no ceiling, then you usually have a floor about how badly you can play, and I think that sums up Watford to a T because. With three Premier League games um, remaining in the late April last season, Watford was seventh in the league and in the FA Cup final. Seven months on, the bottom of the league and going to appoint their third permanent, permanent heavy italics there, manager of the season after Javi Garcia, Sancho Flores, and now Nigel Pearson's in. The word permanent does a lot of heavy lifting in that context. Jeez, Let's be real. What a fall from right? grace. Sure, Watford have been unlucky, and realistically, they've probably lost about five points all up over the Tottenham, Newcastle, and Southampton games from unlucky VAR decisions. But realistically, the points that are on the board are the ones that count. It doesn't matter what you, you could have had, what you could have lost. All right? Their shooting has let them down. Yeah. And it has been. It's been their mainstay for the whole season. That's the focal point that has almost destroyed this season. 16 Premier League clubs have a higher shot conversion rate between 9 and 14%. Watford's is 5.1. 5. As a team, that's not going to get too many shots. If you're you hitting, need to make the most of it. If you're hitting one in every 20 shots on target, you are not getting anywhere in the league. Let's be real. They're, they're they have done. two shots fewer than Wolves, who are fifth. Goodness me. Mate, they are in a deep, deep hole, and it doesn't look like they're getting out this season. Let's be real. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, Damo, I'll shoot you one. On or offside, Arsenal could be bottom three come start of the new year. 
I'm going to say offside, but I say offside purely... I did not expect that from you. No, I'm... I I'm, did not expect that from you. Believe it or not, Arsenal do have some quality. I know you might not have <laughs> seen it on the weekend, or during the week, against Brighton, and on the weekend, but let's be real, they do have some quality, which I think... We'll keep them, you know, keep them up, <laughs> keep the keep the middle table for Mate, now. You bloody hope they're keeping up. To be honest with you, but I just wanted to say, l- listen to these next few fixtures: West Ham away, Man City at home, Everton away, Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, Man United at home. Arsenal are currently sitting tenth, five points above relegation. Okay, mm-hmm. I can't see where their next win comes. West Ham away is a tough ask. All the big clubs they play at home, which means. At the moment, they can't even play at home. So they're traveling away to your Bournemouths, your Evertons, and your West Hams. They're tough, they're tough travels. You know what I mean? Like, mm. at the moment, I can't see where the next win comes. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were down the bottom come the new year. But I think you'll find they will manage telling, to grab points. Are you telling me they'll struggle to grab points off West Ham? Uh, do you think they'll win the game? Do you think they go in favorites to that one? What, in West Ham's current form? West Ham have more points than Arsenal in their last five games. Fair enough, but I wouldn't say West Ham have been that good at home, to be honest with you. We'll see. But yeah, no, I, I think, don't get me wrong, I'm saying that Arsenal will not be in the relegation zone yeah. come the new year, but yeah. it might be a lot closer than people think. Woody, Yo. if we were going to do a winners and losers segment this week, mm-hmm. Chelsea would be the outright winner. I don't know if it'd be the outright winner, because if you look at outright winner, I'd say almost Liverpool, because it does not look like they are dropping points anytime soon. This is let's, true. let's be real. With the Manchester derby coming up, with United's probably, we won't say strong surge of form, but the confidence they have coming out of this last fixture, mm-hmm. City could very well drop points. And looks like the only contender in the next six weeks could be Leicester. Yeah. Right? But I'd say Chelsea are a significant winner. And that's, I'll say on side to that question because their transfer ban has been halved, which means Lampard now has the ability to go into January with some money in his pocket, and splash a bit of cash. Now, I don't know how much he'll change, mm-hmm. but by all means, if they can get a bit of defensive stock... Do you think they'll sign players in January? I don't see why not. I can't, I can't see how much money not do you reckon having a, plans How much already. money do you reckon Abramovich has got stocked up? <laughs> True. Let's be real. He's going to be so eager to spend that yeah, money. It's I, funny. I can see them bringing in a couple of centre-backs. Really? Yeah, 100%. I don't know if they'll be first choice, probably one first choice, and then maybe another one, because when Chelsea are playing three at the back, you're playing Tamori, and look, even though he's shown class, he might not be completely league ready. Yeah, okay. I see that. Yeah, so I can see at least one choice centre-back and maybe a prospect maybe through the midfield. Mm-hmm. Do you see... I, th- I don't think they'll be able to get Ben Chilwell from Leicester until the end of the season. There's no way... I don't, think, I don't think anyone is poaching Leicester players until the end of the season. And even then, if they finish top four and Chelsea don't, I can't see many lesser players leaving. Do you see Chelsea finishing top four, especially now that that band's been lifted? I can see them finishing top four, but I don't think Chilwell will go to United, or I don't think he'll go to an Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I can't see any of them. Even Pereira. You know what I mean? I just can't see anyone wanting to leave Leicester if they finish second especially to a Especially with Brendan Rodgers signing a new contract as well. Yeah, it's like the it, place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, mate, Rodgers has shown, shown his class. And I think he's a beautiful human being. <laughs> they'll only get better as well. But Damo, I'll flick one back at you. On or offside, Liverpool must be disappointed with the FA this week. I'm going to say onside, but I think it's very good of them here to stick to their merits. Now, the reason this has come up is that England, in their build-ups of the Euro 2020s, mm-hmm. play Romania 
in a just a friendly just for a warm up game. Now, uh, Gareth Southgate wants the game to be played up in the north. Uh, unfortunately, old, uh, stadiums such as Old Trafford, the Etihad, uh, Goodison Park, they're all being used or unavailable at the time. That the oh, I think it's June, uh, July seventh, potentially the date. Uh, or actually, maybe I think it's June seventh. My bad, June seventh. Yeah, I was gonna say Euros. Yeah, June. Come on, mate. June seventh. England, the FA have decided that England are not allowed to play at Anfield, and the reason because is because Anfield and Liverpool have actually banned the Sun reporters from entering the stadium. And the FA have said that they don't want to get involved with the issue, so they've decided for England not to play games there. The reason for this is the way is because of the way Sun reporters reported about the obviously the disaster that happened all those years ago. Uh, Liverpool have been strong strong in the situation and not budged. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, obviously, their fans are not going to be too bothered by the fact that England aren't playing at Anfield. But I think it's a, Liverpool would be disappointed because of the morality behind the situation. You would you would have hoped that the FA wouldn't restrict Anfield from great big games. I think it's pretty stiff. because like, of their situation. Anfield is probably the get-to stadium so far this season. Exactly. Let's be real. And after this season, like let's shoot him. Liverpool going to win the league. We'll say it every time. Mm-hmm. How are people not going to want to go to the league winners' stadium? Yeah, it's a big loss. It is. Especially for revenue and all that sort of stuff. But just finally, I think they're going to uh, have a look at St. James's Park at Newcastle. So hopefully that's not a championship stadium come June. Talking about international competitions quickly, I want a, I want a bit of diversion here. Okay. Australia's inclusion in the Copa America. First Copa America ever. <laughs> in their, So the 47th season of the uh, 47th bout of the uh, competition, you know, um, Australia have been invited to, to take part. Thoughts? I'm all for it. I mean, the more games Australia play, the better. Do you think there should be more invitees to these competitions? No, I, I'm actually not sure what the limit is. I think for the Copa America, is it two? two. Yeah, two. yeah. So, no, I think that you can't overdo it. No, I'm happy with that. And obviously, Australia being involved in more international competitions is great for Australian football. So, yeah. I'm all for it. And for those that don't know, Qatar was also the other invitee. Um which don't know how much noise they'll make compared to Australia. Um, I know Australia has definitely got the worst group with Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Paraguay, and Uruguay. So that'll be pretty... It's a good test. Good challenge. (laughs) All right. Let's call it that. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, Woody. Let's move on to our next and final game that we're going to analyze, and that is Manchester United versus Tottenham. Here comes Rashford. As cool as you like. He sent the goalkeeper the wrong way. And Rashford in such hot form at the moment, scores again. He gets one early in the second half after one early in the first half. And United lead again 2-1. It was Jose Mourinho's return. And Marcus Rashford definitely made Jose have a look at him during the week. I think think he made Jose sweat a bit on the touchline (laughs) to straight up. And his first goal to make it 1-0 early on, would you say he was... Gazanegas. Yeah, poor goalkeeper. Poor goalkeeping. Yeah, poor goalkeeper. so he laid it in near post and he, he got, it was a weak wrist. Let's be real. Yeah. Weak wrist. In saying that, though, I thought after that, he probably played the perfect game. It could have been three or four before It could have been time. three or four and he should have had a hat-trick by the end of the game as well. Um, but if it wasn't for an amazing piece of skill from Deli Alley that leveled the Spurs just minutes before halftime, you could see Tottenham really falling away. Mm-hmm. Really falling away, and United were playing probably with the most were playing with the most confidence they have played. I guess I think if you look at the second half of what we've seen so far this season in the last six weeks, probably the most confidence. Yeah, I mean, I, to sum up the game, I'd probably say that 
United dominated for about 70% of it. But I think in Tot- Tot- when Tottenham did get on top, it was at, still at the right moments for Man United. The, the reason I say this is Deli Alley's goal was scored with five minutes to go before halftime. After that, the United players have a history this season of getting a little bit shaky after they concede. United have dropped the most points in the league from leading positions. So you could tell. I'm talking guys like Fred, who had a really good game, but for that five-minute period, him and Scott McTominay struggled. And then the halftime whistle went. I reckon if the, if the half went for any longer, Spurs could have found themselves in front. That's how shaky United were. But they were able to come in, regroup, and of course, Marcus Rashford absolutely skinned. He did. Aurea, who had a who had a pretty awful game, let's be real. It's a lead up to the penalty, which says, okay, get away the foul. But anyway, go on. All right. Well, Marcus Rashford, he, he's looking like the, the gem in United's probably unpolished crown at the moment. Mm-hmm. All right. 22, 22 dual contests, six shots, five recoveries, five take-ons completed, four shots on target, two aerial duels won, two fouls won, two goals. He Potential won. hat trick. He, he was everywhere. Everywhere. I think that was probably his best performance in the United top. I'd say so. I'd say so. And he had as many shots on target versus Mourinho with four during the game as he managed in the first 14 league games under Mourinho in the 18-19 season. Damo, what do you make of that? Look, obviously he had a little bit of a point to prove. There's no beating around the bush there. But I think it has a lot also to do with the fact that Rashford played on the left. The invert, it's almost, he almost plays a left forward role, does Marcus Rashford for Man United when he plays on the left. To say he's a left winger is easy analysis. I would actually say he's more of an inverted left forward. Because he usually sits on, I guess, the left. He's not, he's uh, a, you, the opposing centre back's yeah. shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. Even the goal he scored, Alderweireld and Harry Winks, after Suzuko did a really strange back heel, let's be honest. <laughs> Alderweireld and Harry Winks were confused as to who should go to him. And that's just because of his strong positioning that Rashford has on that inside left. But unless compare him to Daniel James on the right, Daniel James plays a much wider and traditional winger because of his pace. And I'm not saying Rashford doesn't have pace, but you get the point I'm trying to make yeah. here. Yeah, so I think on the left, he's much better. And people have been screaming for it for ages. And obviously Martial was out. And traditionally this season, once Martial was out injured, Rashford would go into striker and James would go onto the left and maybe a, a Pereira, a Lingard, or a even a Mason Green would come in on the right. But on this occasion against Spurs, Solskjaer opted to play Greenwood as the striker, James sticks to the right, and Rashford stayed on the left. And I think that alone just tells us all that Solskjaer's finally realised that it's time to stick Rashford in his position. And I think Rashford might have realised it as well because we heard a lot of him a lot from him that said, I want to be the main striker. I want to be the main man. But he doesn't, you look at Mo Salah, he's the main man for ages for Liverpool. Maybe not at the moment because of Mane, but you don't have to be a striker. You can have moments as striker, but if you play your best position and play your best role for the team, you can be the main man that way. And I, I did touch on Fred and McTominay. How, how good was Fred on during Fred, the week, Woody? Because Fredinho. <laughs> yeah, Fred, <laughs> I was pretty criti- I've been pretty critical of Fred, especially earlier in the season. I think it was his performance against Newcastle where I absolutely roasted him for how many times he passed backward. He only passed backwards 10% of the time during the week against Tottenham. Yeah, and I he, think that sums up his confidence. Oh, it's growing game by game. And uh, the way he covers now, covers the space and covers the midfield... I wouldn't say he dominates the midfield because he's obviously not the most physical and, and you know big midfielder. But the way in which he controls the ball and he creates time and space for himself, 
Yeah. That's that what that is probably what defines him as the midfielder. And with McTominay back, it means he doesn't have to do as much of the defensive duties, which I think hindered his game in the past few weeks because Perea doesn't necessarily complement him in the midfield. Mm-hmm. And Perea is probably defensively more defensively liable than what Fred is. 100%. So I think if anything, Fred having McTominay back and having that central defensive midfielder allowed him a bit more time in the space on the ball because he had the most touches for the game. He had the most passes completed, most passes in the opposition half, recoveries and crosses. So mm-hmm. if if anything, like the space that he gets provided is what's unlocking his game. Yeah, with McTominay right there, gives him so much more confidence, doesn't so it? So much more. And we see the confidence to him to pull off a few skills as well, even though on the touch on halfway, that definitely could have allowed... Tottenham to counter-attack. Mm-hmm. Yet he still took them on and he won almost... I think he took, yeah, three duels and he won every single one. So from that, you know, it just shows how much now he's willing to play with the flair and that Brazilian nature of, I guess, ball control. Well, Jose did say every good squad has to have two Brazilians in there. So now <laughs> yeah. maybe we're seeing why he said that. Uh, but like, let's have a look at Jose's Tottenham because Jose did lose his first game as Tottenham manager and it was by far their most disappointing game. They, they looked... I'll pose a question for you here. Yeah, please. Um, Obviously, we are not exactly old football fans, but we know what Tottenham have been like for probably the last 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's correct? I'd say it's pretty fair. Was that a little bit of a flashback to a Spurs team that might have come to Old Trafford maybe a decade ago? Look, it's hard to say because if we look at, for example, where Spurs were eight years ago, when the likes of Bale, the, Bale the, the the game that Tottenham beat United 3-1 and Bale scored two bangers on his left hand, left left foot, mm-hmm. right? We know that the talent is there for the Spurs and has been for a while, right? That front four is one of the best in the world that they've got right now and when in full flight, you would have to say Spurs are probably, you know, justify why they made it to the Champions League final, yep. right? But on the weekend, to say the Spurs look slow, look shocked, is probably an understatement. They did not expect United to come out. And I think one of the reasons why, and I'd say Tottenham have always had issues with with attitude. And they have so for the last 10 years. They had the same mindset as what a Tottenham team 10 years ago would have. The same probably unfound arrogance. Yeah. The same probably, you know, um, non, non-disciplinary action. It wasn't right? their day. It really it, wasn't. It really wasn't. And it was ironic. It, it was just the fairy tale on the storyline that had to happen that it was at Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess when you look at on paper, we have to say Spurs right now are the better team on paper. Yeah. I mean, Mourinho had a full bench of international capped players. I think Solskjaer barely had one. And and so it gives you this perspective that, you know, first of all, being at Old Trafford, United's last game they lost there was the 2-1 to Crystal Palace. Now, it's no Liverpool's unbeaten run at Anfield, but they are beginning to turn these, what would have been losses, maybe, you know, end of last year into wins. And I think, or in wins and draws, eventually, hopefully for Manchester United's sake, they can become wins. But I guess being at Old Trafford, United really, uh, we, we've said it a hundred times already in this podcast, they came out with an attitude, which I think, I want to look at four players from Spurs and they really struggled with the intensity that United brought. Suzoko, Winks, Sanchez, and Oliveira. Those four defensive central players. Okay, so obviously Oliveira and Sanchez were playing as centre-backs and Winks and Suzoko. 
Now they only they average just under seventy percent in winning their duels. That's not good enough. Between all four. Between all four, they averaged about sixty eight percent between. Jeez. And that probably has a lot to do with the likes of the inverted winger being Rashford and Jesse Lingard, who has been much criticised this season. He actually created the most goal scoring opportunities on the ground, which was four. And his energy, his you know ability to get from contest to contest. Those four players that I mentioned from Spurs really, really struggled, and it didn't help with how bad Aurea and Vertonghen were, Woody. Mate, it was a massacre from Rashford. Let, let's be real. Mm-hmm. Massacre, from Rashford and James, it was a massacre. All game. And the only thing that Vertonghen and Aurea between them supplied to the game was the little flashes of offensive, I won't even say quality, probably delivery that Aurea had. Yeah, Aurea was the one that, could at least get a little bit forward. And even then, it was it was nothing special. Nothing special. Now, Woody, before we finish up this episode, we've got something that we haven't had for a while, and I always look forward to it, and I assume the listeners always look forward to it. Something caught your eye during the week that you think deserves a Woody's whip. It did. And I hate to say it, but it came against the Blades, my beloved Blades, Sheffield. Now, boys... Boys, you know I love you, but honestly, I think with the results that you've had recently and the position on the table, there was a bit of ignorance and a bit of arrogance in the way you guys conceded your second goal against Newcastle. We have spoken the world about the Blades, the fucking Blades this season. More than we even thought that we would have on this podcast. Bloody hell. Even converted me to a full-time supporter. <laughs> I fall in love with him, to say the least. Probably more than my girlfriend. <laughs> All right? And I'm a little bit harsh when they don't perform, but far out. They deserve it this time. Andy Carroll won the header, which fell to John Joe Shelvely. Everyone stopped as the flag went up for offside, and even Dean Henderson barely made an effort to save it. He even put his hand, both hands up, looking at the, looking at the, um, the line ref. All right. The linesman. The Maybe. linesman, sorry. The word you're looking for. The linesman. And he didn't even focus on Shelby running into goal. Now, it doesn't matter what happens on the field. Play to the fucking whistle. End of story. If something's wrong, VAR will pick it up. That's it. That is end of story. If you sit there complaining during the game, you're going to get punished. And that's exactly what the Blades did. Now, what happened to the hardworking Blades that ran back on every single counterattack? What happened to the Blades that didn't look at the linesman, linesman and played with the ball that was on the field rather than the one that was up in the, the review center? That's rubbish. Rubbish. That is not the Blades which I fell in love with, not the Blades that we talk about, and not the Blades that sit fifth. That's lazy, ignorance, and I think potentially this game, a bit big for their boots. And I would say the first thing that you learn as a kid is to play by the whistle. Yeah. All right? Chris Wilder has been named manager of the month. Manager of the month. Right? And you see that crap on the field. Right? If it was a mistake, VAR would have picked it up. And we know because VAR looks at everything. Yeah. The Hawkeye. The big brother <laughs> of the APL. is 1984. All right? But, mate, the Blades fell asleep, and I'm pissed. You weren't happy with them? Not happy. That'll wrap up that whip, I reckon. 
Woody, are we happy to finish up here? Let's do it. Also, quick shout out to uh, Luke double underscore Boykett. I think it was on Instagram who correctly commented the four cartoons on our Instagram post for our pod, um, podcast game show during the week, which was Leeds, Manchester United, Jose Mourinho, and a bit of a tricky one, our Simpleton Sam, Sam Cook. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, well, we're actually going to have a game show next week, so please keep an eye out on the Twitter at at EPL Nightclub, if you want to get involved, you'll see a post and make sure you just comment. Let us know and we'll have you on. Woody, if people want to find the Instagram, where can they find you it? You can find us at Premier League Nightclub coming at you almost every day of the week during this Christmas period. With content. Content. Content, content, content. Anyway, Woody, let's uh, put a bow on this one and <laughs> wrap it up because we've got more Premier League action tonight that we need to watch. Manchester Derby is on. Everton with their new manager, or actually caretaker manager, I should say, for now, up against Chelsea, who probably be looking to bounce back from their last away visit to West Ham. You're right. No, sorry, that game was at home. My bad. And someone else looking to bounce back is also Sammy in Las Vegas. Yes. Our third amigo who who went solo partying on the weekend. Shout out to him. That's a big call. Some big balls on him. Let's be real. I wonder, I wonder what, he, what, what his endeavours were on that evening. <laughs> wonder what they were. Family affair, mate. Who knows? You can't, you can't be doing it on family occasions, like family holidays. You must have been keen. You must have oh, been very keen. Anyway, anyway, we'll hear from the man soon, but we'll give nevertheless. Him a call. Give Mike him a call next week. Anyway, please stay tuned on all the socials. Hear us out next week. We'll be posting on Tuesday. See you, everybody. See ya.